Archie's so thankful for all our volunteers who make this happen every single week. Um, hey, look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Don't lie to them like you did last week. Mean it this time. Look at them and say, it's good to see you. Hey, we're so glad that you're here at Crossroads Church. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is, is every single week, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus, and Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like, you don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here, and we say it's all about we wrote it on the wall if you need some help, all right? And so what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And if you forgot your Bible, we got you covered. You can just slip up your hand and you can borrow one of ours. One of our ushers will get one to you. And then if you don't have a Bible, take that one. That's our gift to you. We pray that you read it every single day because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Three of you believe that. Every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, so we've been in this series in the book of John for the past few weeks, and we'll continue on for the next 27 years. And so get comfortable and uh, open to the book of John, chapter 4. And we're going to, uh, we're going to get to the text in just a moment. But before we do, hey, many of you know that this week end is a very special weekend and it's far beyond uh, a holiday weekend or something that we just uh, set aside. Uh, it is a time to honor and a time to remember those who have um, given up their lives in the service of their friends, you and I. Jesus says this, no greater love does a friend have that he would, than those who would lay down his life for another. And so uh, today, um, leading into Memorial Day tomorrow, uh, we want to take a moment and remember. And before we do, uh, here's what I would ask. If you uh, have served in our nation's armed forces, uh, retired or active, will you just stand to your feet right uh, where you're at? Do we have any veterans, active service members? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I had a friend who's uh, active uh, military right now, and he, he's been trying to coach me through uh, this weekend. And one thing he, he said to me is, is those who are veterans and, and those who are um, in active service on Memorial Day, they don't want a thank you. And that's an interesting thing to, to think about because we set aside this time to remember those who have lost their lives and those families. And so, uh, however, I think the Bible says this, give honor where honor is due. And so uh, let's honor those. And I would encourage you, if you go to church here, uh, that you respect and honor those in our armed force. If you, we live in a community uh, where we are very proud of our nation's military. Amen? And our veterans, and so thank them when they're in in uh, in the coffee line or or they're at a restaurant. Stop and say thank you. Honor them. And then this weekend, I, I ask that you would pray for those who are mourning the loss of a loved one, uh, a widow, an orphan, 
those who have uh, their lives completely changed this um, and this weekend uh, we remember and we honor. And so uh, here's what I want to do. And just before uh, I pray, uh, I want to take a moment of, of silence and meditation just to reflect on what it means to serve and what it means to give and what it means to serve and give at that level and capacity. And so uh, I want to take just a moment, if we can, just uh, try to uh, steal our hearts and our bodies and our minds for just a moment, and then we'll conclude in prayer and, uh, and then read our text. Gracious Heavenly Father, we ask your Spirit, the Comforter, to be with those who are mourning the loss of a father, a husband, a friend, a fiance. I pray that this weekend they would feel comfort in the hope of the gospel, in the resurrection, and the heart of Jesus, who says, No greater love does anyone have than one friend laying his life down for another? I thank you that you would help our nation's military. I pray that you would comfort them, you would guide them, you would lead them with wisdom and honor and grace. I pray that you would still their minds and bring peace that passes all understanding. We ask you to guide our country Help our leaders. I pray that we would be people who do not criticize but encourage towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we pray for those. We honor, even if we disagree, we honor and respect as you would have us conduct ourselves and people will see us as a city on a hill with hope. And I pray that those who are mourning today would find hope in the resurrection of the gospel. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 John chapter number four, starting in verse one. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, and he came to a town of Samaria, Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me? 
a woman of Samaria. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming. We're neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Will you worship the Father? You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, his disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his word. Do you not say that there are yet four months and then the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent to you, you to reap that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we ask you that you open our hearts, clear our minds. We ask that your word would help us 
steward well our actions, our behaviors, our habits. We ask that you would give us grace in all things for your glory and the good of everyone around us. And we ask in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. A familiar portion of Scripture, a familiar passage. Um, and uh, just for a minute, jo- Pastor Joe, can you, can you work on my mic a little bit here? I think we're still having, I'm having a lot of echo. I don't know what it sounds like out there, but that's going to be distracting for the next little bit. And now I'm gone. Can you hear me now? Does that sound better? A little better? Okay. Uh, say thanks, Pastor Joe. Uh, <laughs> Joe does everything. Uh, that's not a joke. So, hey, here's this familiar portion of Scripture that maybe many of us have heard and uh, quoted, and we, we quickly call it uh, the woman at the well. And we think about this passage in uh, a, a lot of ways very centered on the story of the woman. Maybe if you were raised in church, you're a Bible baby, a felt born kid, uh, you would know much about the woman at the well. And maybe you've uh, talked about uh, this idea of living water and being her uh, thirsting with uh, a, a thirst that could not be quenched by anything but the living water that is Jesus. But there are a lot more implications to this particular passage than maybe what uh, we see at first glance. And so here's what I want to do over the next few moments. I want to uh, talk about what maybe we need to observe in the text that at first glance, maybe we gloss over, we don't fully understand the implications of what Jesus is alluding to or what this passage John is writing, that then what Jesus says brings implications that have now been walking out for thousands of years from this particular statement until uh, even what you're seeing on the news today. And so there are many implications that I want to talk about, and then we're going to uh, we're going to kind of back up, go back into the woman's story, maybe what at first glance we perceive in the story, and then we'll wrap up and look at how this all points to the gospel. Are you with me? Yeah. Hey, three of you, thank you. Uh, the rest of you, uh, are you with me? Yeah. Amen. So the, so the other day I was in a coffee shop, and literally the manager of the coffee shop perceived that I was a pastor. No, she knows I'm a pastor. And, uh, and, and, and uh, woman at the well joke, right? And so she looks over at me, and, and she says this. She says, Pastor Sam, do you have your finger on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? And I thought, well, this is something for a casual coffee conversation, (laughs) wouldn't you say? Uh, How's your coffee shop meetings go, right? Uh, And and here's why is is there are a lot of people, maybe, maybe right now you realize that on the news and on your social media feeds and that people have an opinion about this little space in the Middle East that's no larger than New Jersey and has this group of people that we call the Jews and this place called Israel. And we have been talking about this place, this portion of land, this group of people since the dawn of 
time. And yet now we have all of these opinions circling and casual people in a coffee shop in the San Ynez Valley want to know what my opinion, the small town boy from eastern Kentucky, all right, all right, all right, if I got my finger on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, are you kidding me, right? What would I know about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? Now, what's the purpose of the question? I mean, there's a lot of ideas and things that are being propagated, literally propagated. There's a lot of propaganda. Are you with me? There's a lot of opinions about who's right and what side and, and what individuals should do. And on a global scale, it seems the world's attention is towards this place that many people call the Holy Land or the Holy City. And people have an opinion about this conflict. Now, here's what I'm not going to do, is I'm not going to put my finger on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and pontificate on what has, is going on in the Middle East. And somebody should say amen to that. But you ought to look for truth in all things. Somebody say amen to that. And you should not be deceived. You should not be easily swayed. A coffee shop conversation should not be where you find your place in the world and how you find your opinions and, dare I say, the bottomless pit that is your social media page. And the Bible predicted a bottomless pit. I don't know. Is that Facebook? Maybe. Uh, I've never seen the bottom. Have you? Uh, and you scroll and scroll and scroll and all over it, there are opinion after opinion about who's right and who's wrong. This is not a new conversation. This is a conversation that has been going on for millennia. And yet, here Jesus finds himself in the outer regions, just outside of Jerusalem, up into the mountains. And he goes to this area called Samaria. He goes to this small little town and he finds this well. This well has tradition around it. This well has purpose around it. This well has been inherited from Jacob, passed down Jacob, whose name was changed to... And yet a town in Samaria believes that Jacob has this well. Now, historians believe there's some, some controversy. Did Jacob really give this well? Was this his well? But they believe it to be such. And because they believe it to be so, and it has a connection to Israel, which is just across the way, this is a gathering place. This is a special place. This is a holy place for them. Why? Because they feel like they've been ostracized and kept out. Out of the holy city where they feel as though that is the place to worship. Jesus finds himself at this well and he asks for a drink. And she uh, then has this kind of come to Jesus meeting, if you will, pun intended, and has this conversation about her life and what her life has been like. And 
Then Jesus begins to uh, tell her things about her life that, that, that we have to realize that Jesus already knows all of the flaws. He knows all the mistakes. He knows all of the story. And yet his attention and his face is still towards this woman. Somebody needs to hear today that with all your flaws, all your mistakes, all your past, Jesus' attention is still towards you. Somebody should say amen to that. This is the character and nature of God. See, there's some, some misconception when people go, man, I, when I get my act together, that's when I'll come to church. But we know the pastor doesn't have his act together. So uh, then you're in good company. Somebody say amen to that. The Bible is a story about everyone else getting it wrong and one person getting it right. And oftentimes what we think is that when we mess up or we're in the middle of our story, God's attention and face is, is removed from us. But it's not so. And we see this in the person of Jesus. But then Jesus says something really profound here. She tries to change the conversation. She goes, listen, yes, my story is uh, I, I, I don't have a, a husband, and, and, and I've had five husbands, and, and I get that you know that, but, but I'm trying to hold on to my faith. I'm trying to hold on to my belief system. Some pastors have preached this where she quickly changes the subject, but I don't know if that's so. I think maybe what she's saying is, I don't have anything left. And you're a Jew talking to a Samaritan, and you have some strong opinions about even my faith. Are you going to come here and tell me that I've lost everyone and everything, and now you're going to take this special place from me? I'm just trying to hold on to the last bit of faith and belief that I have. You ever been there? No, I have. Maybe you know someone who's there. And she says, well, okay, well, S Samaritans believe this is the mountain we worship on, and the Jews say you have to worship in Jerusalem. But man, I know what happens if I try to go there. I know what they're going to think of me. And maybe you don't realize the full backstory. See, there's some, some tension between Samaritans and Jews, and S Samaritans were those who had 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 relationships with people outside of their their race and ethnicity and their origin and and ultimately it had nothing to do with being biracial it had everything to do with what they believed see the story of the bible is over and over israel would allow themselves to intermingle with other nations that had pagan religions that led them astray and so oftentimes when uh, we know this right how hard is it for you and your spouse to pick where to eat for dinner how's that go right what do you want to eat no what do you want to eat I don't I don't really care uh, pick something okay let's go here no I don't want to go there <laughs> wait I thought you said I thought you said pick something right and I, and you said you didn't care can you imagine and this is what uh, the principle that you can take away here. The bio, Jesus then takes it to our spiritual life. And he says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And particularly in the conversation of marriage, because it is so difficult already to be married. Someone say amen. To, no, don't say that too loud. <laughs> right? That's a trick. It, it, relationship, let's, let's put it this way. Relationships are difficult. Amen. 
I think husbands and wives have better tools to get along together and we have a better start than any other relationship and, and those relationships can reflect the gospel, but relationships are hard and difficult. How much more if you believe different things about the world, about God, about life? So let me encourage you, don't be unequally yoked. Make sure that if you're dating, if you're, if, 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 you're, uh, if you're courting, if you're a young person, if you're, if you're looking for someone, make sure that their worldview, their outlook, why? Because belief drives behavior, amen? And so what happens is, is, is that was the story of the Samaritans. And they were completely different. They're kind of intermixed with some of the Jewish faith and then some uh, beliefs of other nations. And so they've been ostracized from the community. They live up in the hills outside of the city. And Jesus specifically, why? Because they're competing on who's elite, who's in charge, who has more accolades and spiritual credibility or notoriety because they say they were asking who's baptized more disciples Jesus or John who, who who do we listen to above anyone else and Jesus is tired of all of the competition shouldn't churches get tired of all the competition somebody say amen to that who's in on this who's out on that and yet Jesus makes his trip up into this region called Samaria, and he meets this woman. And this woman has ideas about faith, about life, and yet she meets a Jew where she assumes already has an opinion about her, right? Like people have about me when they hear my southern accent in Southern California, right? Right? I remember someone asked me, well, what are you, you're, you're from a kid from Kentucky. How are you going to pastor in Southern California? Joke's on them now, right? All right, all right. And they'd never been to the San Ynez Valley, all right? <laughs> and yet, already has all of these opinions, and then he, he does something that's completely unexpected for her. He speaks to her, he encourages her, he gives her evidence of who he is, says this profound statement. Notice that Jesus kept silent who he was, told people at times when he healed them, don't tell anyone else. He keeps things vague. If, if someone told you that Jesus never claimed to be God, Jesus never claimed to be someone significant, this passage of scripture busts that all to pieces when he says, the one you're speaking to, I am he, the Messiah, the Christ, the one who's coming. And then he says this. He says, there'll come a day where you neither worship on this mountain, at this well, this place where you have this tradition, this place that you've held on to this, uh, this holy inheritance of this well that ties to Israel, and neither in Jerusalem will you worship. Could you imagine? You want to know what kept getting Jesus in trouble? The statements like this. He just had went from the temple, if you notice where we were just a couple weeks ago, the cleansing of the temple, where he comes in and turns over the tables, runs people out with a whip. He goes from that temple, and then he goes to the 
the quote-unquote temple of Samaria, this well that is tied to Israel. And then he comes there and says, neither place is significant for worship. He says, the hour has come and is now here where you'll neither worship on this mountain or on this mountain, Jerusalem, but you'll come a time where you worship in spirit and in truth. Now, what's the significance of that? The significance is, is that Jesus just said that there are no holy places. Says, okay, come again, right? There are no holy places. Somebody say, oh no, right? Some of you don't know to say amen to that, right? There's no holy places. See, so what happens is, is oftentimes we miss the words of Jesus in the implication and application of that, and we still make for ourselves holy places, don't we? How, how many this morning you got up and you said, I'm going to church this morning, right? I'm going to church, man. I'm go- I, well, when you said, I'm going to church, what did you think about when you said, I'm going to church? Was it this particular building? Was it the beauty of this particular building? The fa- uh, the, the, was it the chairs? Was it the stage? Was it, was it, or when you said, I'm going to church, did you think about being in the gathering of the people of God? Right, but see, my kids, see, and they're pastor's kids, and I try to help them out. But, uh, but we live uh, just, you know, long way that way uh, across the great divide of the parking lot, and uh, and my kids, even they, they go, the daddy's over at the church. Daddy's at the the church house. We're go, are we going to? church and see what happens even in our vernacular of of how we think about everyday life this particular passage helps us understand the implication and now application of how we think about places because places are never more important than people somebody say amen, amen. to that that wasn't loud enough you should say amen louder amen, amen. Places never matter more than people. And see, sometimes there can become an unhealthy kind of fixation on church buildings or structures. And we're so thankful that we have this space to meet in. And we've met through all of this every single week for the most part we've been in here together but it doesn't matter the building someone say amen it is only a tool to help us gather as the people of God and so then if there are no holy places there's only holy people how did they become holy and see this is the reason why there's questions about Israel, that's why there's questions when someone says, I'm going to the Holy Land on a trip. What do they, what do they mean by that? See, we still call it that. We still think about it that way. But here's what Jesus is saying. The hour has come and is now here that all of the promises that are for Israel find its place in the person of Jesus. Somebody say amen to that. Well, what is that 
promise, that main promise, is what God said to Abraham, I will bless you and make you a great nation and all of the nations of the world will be blessed through you. All of the nations of the world will be blessed through you. And so when Jesus goes to this area, he's going to other nations. He's going to other people groups. And his purpose is to what? He says, I came to do the will of the Father. This is actually what drives me. This is what feeds me. And my purpose is not places, it's people. Why? Because now he is the place. He is the embodiment. He is the tabernacle. He is the temple embodied. Jesus is the embodiment of Israel. That's why he could say that neither there or here matter. What matters is who is speaking to you. Are you with me? So then, how do I get my finger on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? What do I do when I think about, what does that mean, Pastor Sam, then, then it doesn't matter what happens with Israel? If there is no holy land, if there are no holy places, then how do I think about this conflict over land? Well, I don't know, do you have a fence around your yard? No? Do you lock your doors? So, some of us forget to, and their trucks get stolen. Uh, <laughs> right? like, like, the reality is, is, is Israel is a sovereign nation. And, and here's what you think about. Israel is the only Jewish state on the planet. And it's the size of New Jersey. And people are fixated on what happens with this state. Should we support Israel? Yeah. The same way we support America? Yeah. Well, what's different about America and what's different about Israel? What do they have in common? You're holding this book. How many of you got a Bible? Hold it up. So you're holding up your phones and iPads. <laughs> Somebody just puffed out their chest. They're like, I hid the word in my heart, right? <laughs> right? See, the difference is, is that for the most part, this, the front part of this book, that's the book that the nation of Israel and their people are taught to follow. And here's, here's the lie that sometimes we have to be careful of is that this part of the book is different than this part of the book. That the God of this, this God is different than this God. That's a lie. Somebody say amen to that. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Salvation is found in the person of Jesus who fulfills all the promises that this book has been pointing to since the beginning. But even in the first part of this book, the first part of this book is about grace, about forgiveness, 
about integrity, about morality, about how you treat the foreigner, how you handle the refugee. There's a video that you can find on YouTube on Prager University's channel. Five years ago, they did a video called Israel is the most moral army in the history of the world. Now, how they handle civilians, how they conduct themselves. Why? Because they've had the word of God since he gave it to them. And you're just catching up. Right? What's significant about America and its founding? And see, there, there's, a, there's a whole movement to try to change the date of the founding of the United States. Why? Because if it's founded in 1776, then it's founded on the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, which point to what? The Word of God. The moral code that says you've been endowed by your Creator with unalienable rights, least of which. Right? The government didn't give them to you. The government did not make you in its image, God did. And now you have rights. Because they knew that people will not follow the law of God, but they will be held accountable. Everyone will be held accountable to the word of God. Amen? And so if they will not follow it, they say there is no God, or God is not important, then we'll write laws that help them see people as valuable. Those documents are what led to the Civil War. Those documents are what led to the Civil Rights Movement. Those documents kept pushing us forward to see people as valuable and made in the image of God. Israel is no different. They're still looking and searching, but they have this book. So we have to be careful. But they have neighbors who want to wipe them off the face of the planet. What's the finger on the Palestinian-Israeli conflict? It's that one honors God. And because they honor God, they treat people different. Jesus says all of the commandments are fulfilled in these two things. Love God, love people. And so when you see propaganda that says Israelis have killed innocent people, children, you have to stop and be careful and begin to ask the question, what's really happening there? Here, let me ask you this. Do you condemn the use of children as human shields? See, what's different is there's a belief system that believes even if a child dies in jihad, they will inherit the kingdom. So they will use them so that somehow we could have conversations in coffee shops thousands of miles away and have an opinion about what we do not know. Thank you.
But it does not mean that we blindly support nations whose king is not God. That is also the United States of America. Our allegiance first and foremost is to King Jesus. And all others will be held accountable. So we do not have blind patriotism in this country or thousands of miles away in the Middle East. We do not value places over people. Someone say amen to that. So then, how we interact with one another, how we see one another is of the utmost importance. So when Jesus says this, there are no sacred spaces. There are no, don't hold one so valuable that you miss the person because all of the law, all of the worship, he says to her, all of the wor- all the faith that you have is not found in a place, it's found in a person. And that's who's talking to you right now. So should I look for truth and hold people accountable and not blindly support one over the other, but yet understand wrong is wrong, evil is evil, good is good, and I have to be sober-minded in how I think and what's being pushed to me by the media, by social media, by my friends. Somebody say amen to that. Okay, so you got to wrestle with that. You got to go look for that. You got to go study yourself. Don't blindly say things. But here's the other thing that happens. Here's what we have to be careful for is sometimes we as Christians can put an overemphasis on Israel and on the Jews, and somehow we then have some type of elevated status. See, there's there are these movements. Uh, There's there's people who consider themselves messianic Jews. Or in other words, it's, it's becoming this, this kind of faction of Christianity that holds to Jewish dietary laws and festivals, and, but yet believes Jesus is the Messiah and finds its place in, in Jesus. But what happens is if they're not careful, they begin to see themselves as somehow closer to God Maybe you can do a 23 and me and find out you have, you know, uh, a quarter, uh, you're quarter Jewish, right? People think now you're more anointed, right? But you can't read the book of Galatians and come to that conclusion. Somebody say amen to that. They're no Greek, no slave, no free, no Jew or Gentile, nor male or female. Now this isn't a conversation about biology and gender. This is a conversation about how we see human beings no matter what race, creed, color, religion, or gender. That we see them as made in the image of God and they are valuable. Amen? And one does not have some elevated status. You know what the elevated status in the kingdom is? Down. Jesus says you want to be great? Become the least. Now back to this woman. 
And I want to leave you with this thought. See, what happens is, is when we read the Bible, and this is what you're going to kind of wrestle with at not so small groups, is sometimes we can read the Bible as a story about us. You ever pictured yourself as David? Right? Killing giants, right? So don't lie, just own it, right? Notice that you're always the hero in the story. But can I just give you some good news? The Bible is not about you. Amen. The Bible is a story all about. So if I look for Jesus, all of a sudden the implications, what is this? Because sometimes I can, I can realize, I can get fixated on this is a story about the woman at the well, and I miss that Jesus was also at that well. And he said some profound things. But here's, here's what I want to suggest to you that's significant and how this points to the gospel. Is this woman says, I don't have a husband, I have five. Now, here's, here's what I want to point out. is oftentimes when I've heard pastors and even myself preach this sermon and we talk about her having five husbands, we put the blame on her very often. You go, what is she doing? But in that culture, women were not the ones who initiated divorce. So you know what he's saying? He's saying, you've been rejected over and over five men have now left her and divorced her and left her on her own over and over says and the one she's with now won't even marry her just uses her See, sometimes what happens is we're not thinking about the full context. We just go to our story and we look at, and we, we begin to project onto people. But maybe it's that she's been rejected over and over and over. And Jesus is the one who will accept her. But how can he do that? How is it that he can accept her? John's going to go on and tell a story. He's going to tell a story about how Jesus will be betrayed. He will be stolen in the night. He will be tried at night. He will then have a public trial in front of the Romans. And then he'll be led up a hill and he'll be put on a cross. How is it that he can accept her? It's because Jesus was rejected. Jesus will cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, the gospel is this, that Jesus traded places with you. He took on rejection. Why? So you could be accepted. That you could never, ever feel alone or lost, where he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll be with you till the ends of the earth. I am going nowhere. Ahava, the Hebrew word for I'm staying right here. And how is it that he offers living water? Jesus also on the cross is going to say, I thirst. And yet he'll have nothing to drink. 
How is it that he gives you living water that will well up and you'll never be thirsty again? Because he took on thirst. He emptied himself. He took on our sin and he traded places. He traded places with this woman at the well so she'll never be thirsty or never be rejected again. And that story is your story. That story is my story. That story is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, where all things, all of the promises of God find its yes in the person of Jesus. So what's special? Jesus. Who's holy? Jesus. What matters above all things? Jesus. And that's good news. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. We thank you that it was because you were rejected we can be accepted. We do not have a great high priest who's indifferent to our suffering, but you came, you stepped out of eternity and into time, and you lived a selfless, obedient life unto death. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. As Martin Luther said, this is the great exchange. You took on thirst so we never have to be thirsty again. We never have to lack. We can have food that is to do the will of the Father. We'll be full of the presence of God because you've now done away with temples and you've built a temple in the hearts of your people. Holy Spirit, dwell in us. Teach us that people matter more than places, more than stuff. Help us to bring glory to you and good to this valley. And everyone said, amen. Will you give Jesus a hand clap of praise?